we are going through our core beliefs, and, and uh, Pastor Joshua did a, a great job last week talking about that first belief, God is a good father. Now, just to be clear what these core beliefs are, by way of review, these, this isn't like our full theological statement or anything like that. We have that posted online. We have a, a theological statement. Th- these are specific things that we believe the Lord's highlighted for this house. Um, for example, some churches, when they're talking about God the Father, might, might really highlight uh, uh, the holiness of God or, or uh, uh, you know, God the creator or different facets of who he is. And those are all true, and we talk about those things too. But we really believe uh, throughout our history that we've seen the Lord highlight his goodness. He is a good father. And that's come up over and over again through our history. It, it permeates through restoration ministries, which of course was founded here in this house in the late 80s and has continued to go. Uh, uh, Doug Easterday has, has spoken on this topic for like decades, like, like nine, ten decades now or something. He's all over the world been bringing that message. God is a father and he's a good father. And so it has been part of what we have carried together. Uh, so these are the kind of things that, that we are, we're highlighting, uh, stuff he's done in the past and stuff he's, he's doing currently and leading us towards. So today I'm bringing our second core belief. We have three about God. And the, the second one is about the second person of the Trinity, about Jesus. And here, here it is. Jesus Christ is both Savior and Lord. He's both Savior and Lord. So today I'm going to unpack that a little bit. Now, in this house, we have a long history of missions, of evangelism, and of discipleship. Uh, This is, uh, if you've spent any time here or heard some of the history uh, of of this, this body, there's been some really amazing things that the Lord's done as far as leading people to Christ and walking them on that journey uh, uh, towards uh, uh, getting to know him better and, and being conformed into the likeness of Jesus. So this, is, this has been an important part of who we are. It's been an important part of, of some of us before we ever came here as well. A, a lot of us came from Youth of the Mission. <laughs> this is the whole uh, 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 motto of Youth of the Mission is to know God and to make him known. So this is a, a, a huge aspect of who we are. But I want to unpack these two things, Savior and Lord, and think about them together. So I'm going to start with a couple of Christmas verses. That's right, a couple of verses that you only use at Christmas time. But before you get too excited, Lieber's box, we are not going and decorating the shelves in Christmas yet. It's only September, and we are not starting Christmas music. We're not doing it. But we have a couple of verses that come that we generally just pay attention to at Christmas time, which is kind of a shame because they're awesome. First one in Matthew 1:21. An angel appears to Joseph and tells him about Mary. Uh, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means, literally, God is salvation. So the angel saying, you're going to name this child, God is salvation, because he will save his people from their sins. So right at the very beginning of the New Testament, we have this being thrown down. Jesus is the one who will save. It's so core to who he is that it's his name. Pretty important. And of course, we see, as we watch then in the story of Jesus, in his ministry, in his sacrifice, he lays his life down for us. He's killed 
and he rises again and offers us salvation through his blood. He is Savior. And we see today that he still offers that salvation to all of us. Romans 10, uh, 9 and 10. It's not back there, but he says this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart is, uh, uh, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Jesus is Savior. It is core to who he is and, and to his mission. But there's more to this story. If you just think of him as Savior, you're going to miss some things. He is Savior, but he is also Lord. And this brings us to our second Christmas verse, the one that's always in the Christmas pageant with the child as the angel, right? The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good tidings or good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, both those aspects. Who's been born? A Savior who's also the Lord. Both of those things. Now, the New Testament uses the term Lord far more than Savior, actually. Uh, almost 250 times to refer to, refer to Jesus. That's, that's a lot. In fact, it's so common that we can start sort of thinking of it as just another name for God. But it's, it's actually, it actually has a specific meaning. I mean, we, we all know it. We just don't think of it that often. Lord really literally means ruler, right? It's like someone in authority. And it's clear how high Jesus' authority actually goes. This angel came to these shepherds in a very specific kind of context. This is, you know, in the Roman Empire, people understood the idea of kingship. They understood what an emperor was. They understood the authority of it in a way that we just, I'm afraid, don't. Like, we just don't have those kind of touch points. Now, uh, there was a thing that would happen when a new emperor was born. They, of course, didn't have any sort of advanced communications back then, but they had a really, really big empire. So when a new Caesar was born, when there was something huge that happened, they relied on messengers to go out throughout the empire and give this message. Okay, I've often thought of this as almost like paper boys, right? Extra, extra, read all about it. That actually was the origin of our, our, our Christmas play we wrote a few years ago, Clark the Herald Angel Sings. It was actually a thing, right? These were messengers sent out to deliver the good news. In fact, there are, there are still uh, artifacts that, that uh, show this in great detail. There's one that was in, found in Turkey. And, and it, it is, it, it's a, a commemoration of the birth of Caesar Augustus. And it, it talks about Caesar as savior. It talks about Caesar as ruling all people. And it announces good news, good tidings. That Greek word is a very special word, euangelion, which means literally gospel. Good news. It was the gospel of Caesar. That's what they called it. A brand new, like this, this brand new king ushering in his kingdom for everybody. That's what they would tell people in the Roman Empire when a new Caesar was born. And then we have the angels coming in and doing the same thing using the same language. Do you see the weight of that? The angels were trolling Caesar. 
really the way I think of this. You're like, oh, oh, you like to, you think, you're, okay, we have a new Caesar was born. That was the message. A new Caesar was born in Bethlehem, and he was wrapped up in cloth. A new Caesar. And we get to watch what happens as Jesus uh, goes through his ministry and after he ascends. And you see how this truth, Jesus as king, Jesus as Lord, Jesus as the supreme authority, we get a sense of how controversial this really was. You remember there is a scene in Acts 17 where uh, um, Paul and Silas, they're, they're preaching the gospel and of course, they kick the hornet's nest. People get very upset with them. And, uh, and he hides. He hides in the house of Jason, which is very relatable because Paul always hides in my house. It's very strange. Um, that guy right back there. Paul, you know what he actually does? This is true. He actually takes pictures outside my window and then sends them to me like 30 seconds after he's gone. It's incredibly creepy. He sent me this picture of me. I was playing the piano in my living room and then he just texts it to me. I see his reflection in the window. I'm like, this guy, this guy. Okay, sorry, Paul. I, no, I'm not sorry, because that's weird, and you need to... <laughs> it's actually quite funny. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> totally got off track with that stupid diversion. Um, uh, so uh, they're trying to find Paul. They can't find him, but they haul Jason and his buddies into court. And, and here's their accusation. It, it's right here. In Acts 17, 6 and 7. These men who have uh, upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. Their great accusation against Paul isn't that he, he's preaching some heresy. It's that he is preaching treason. He is saying there's a higher authority than Caesar. And how dare he? You see, you guys, when people in the New Testament proclaimed Jesus Christ is Lord, what they were saying is that Caesar is not Lord. And many, many, many of them went to their deaths for that reason. When we say Jesus is Lord, typically we just mean, oh yeah, he's God. But I think it's good for us to feel a little bit of the weight of that. Think of what they were saying. They're saying he's God of everything. Like, not just like, Oh, well, you know, he's nice. No, he's, he's more than even just a savior. He, he's king. He's emperor. And what he says goes. That's the way they thought of it. And I think that's the way we need to think of it, too. In our culture, if we think about Lord and Savior, typically I think we tend to celebrate the Savior part at the expense of the Lord part. I think we're excited about the Savior part because the Savior part is, you know, it's a little easier to, to think about. There was a a preacher named David Ravenhill who had laid this out, I thought it was interesting. He talked about the two sides of the cross. The salvation side and the lordship side. And it's easy to gravitate to that salvation side, you know? Like, that's where you get the good stuff. That's, well, that's the forgiveness, that's the acceptance. The lordship side is the obedient side and the submitting to a higher king side, all those things. And we tend to want to slide over here into the easier one. But I want to tell you, I don't think that Jesus gives us an option to pick and choose. C.S. Lewis famously said that Jesus could not just be a good moral teacher because of the things he said. 
Like you look at some of the nice things, oh yeah, he's just a good moral teacher. But then he also said this. Jesus said this, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now guys, I am a teacher. Can you imagine if I said, guys, if you love me, you will obey me. Would I be, <laughs> how arrogant, right? How about this one? Uh, uh, John, uh, um, 1 John 2, 4 says this, the one who says, I have come to know him, meaning Jesus, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Like, in other words, Jesus demanded full allegiance and obedience. He can't just be good. He, like, just be good. Like, that's not a good thing to say. Like, it sounds like he thinks he's God or something. If you love me, keep my commandments. Lewis says, Jesus was either a sociopath, or he was crazy, or he was exactly who he says he was. And I tend to think he was exactly who he says he was. Obedience to Jesus is not given as an optional upsell. It's not like, hey, you get salvation for free. You get to go to heaven for free. And if you're really serious, you can pay $39.99 a month and also make him your Lord. I don't think that's ever the way it was. As, as we would say to our kids, that's not a choice. That's not a choice. Well, I didn't want to make him king. I, that's not a choice. I just wanted salvation. Not a choice. It's both. You have to em embrace all of it. Now, here's the question, though. What is it that makes us think that's even possible? I tend to think the culprit, part, at least a big part of the culprit, is the way that we have viewed salvation in the first place, at least over the past you know, several decades. We tend to emphasize salvation as a ticket to heaven, and I want to suggest to you, I don't think that's a biblical picture. Part of being saved, of course, is that you, you are with him. You get to be in his presence forever. But I actually don't think, I don't see that, that verbiage anywhere in Scripture. And I think it, what it does is it ends up uh, um, sort of reducing down this incredible, powerful, beautiful picture of what salvation is. And taking one aspect and saying, oh, you get to go to heaven. And so then it's possible to have, you know, like, to have that to have that assurance without ever having any allegiance to Jesus in your life whatsoever. And we think it's possible to hold on to both those things. And I want to suggest to you, I don't think it is. I don't think that's an option. I don't think that's biblical. And part of that reason is what Joshua said last week. Remember what the, the Greek word for salvation is? What is it? Sozo, which means what? Saved, healed, delivered, right? That is a holistic overhaul of allegiances, of affections, all of those things. It is, a, it is a, a massive life transformation. That's what salvation is. So how can you have that if, if, all your, if the only part that you want is heaven? Friends, I, I just don't think he's ever given us that option. So I think that's part of our problem is that we're thinking, hey, we can, we can grab this, but not this. And I think he's actually offered us uh, and asked us something 
uh, um, much, more, much more costly, but much more rewarding and much more beautiful. Something that actually is sozo. He actually is saving, healing, delivering, and putting us on a track of complete restoration. But here's what I think it requires of us. I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you a story here. When I was uh, teaching at a, a school in Minnesota almost 20 years ago, uh, I, I had the pleasure of going on a history field trip to a bunch of the battlefields uh, in, of the, the Civil War and the Revolutionary War. And it was really amazing. I don't know if you guys have ever had that opportunity to, to visit some of these places where thousands of people died. Uh, and it, it's just very moving. And by far my favorite place was a place called Appomattox, Virginia. And Appomattox, for those of you know, who know history, know that that is a very important place. It's a little town in the middle of nowhere, but this was the place where the Civil War ended. It was the place where, where Robert E. Lee surrendered to General Grant. And being in this place was incredible because it, the whole like, village is kind of preserved. You walk over to this house, and here's the courthouse, and you walk over here, and here's where the armies were over here, and all of this, and, and we had a, a young man who was in uniform, dressed as a Confederate soldier, who was uh, in character and telling us the story. And it was this powerful, powerful retelling of what took place. And here's basically uh, uh, what happened the night of the, the surrender. You see, these armies have been going at it for years, and, and uh, uh, things were looking very bad for the Confederates, and, and they were on the verge of, of starving, and they, they knew they couldn't fight anymore. So finally, uh, uh, Lee surrendered. And, and so General Grant wires back to President Lincoln, and he tells him Grant has surrendered. What should the terms of surrender be? What should we do with this army that's here? Because when you take up arms against your country, that's known as treason. So you have all of these people who, who have just surrendered. Now what do we do? And, and, and President Lincoln had an extraordinarily generous answer. He said, here's what we're going to do. I want you to print out parole passes for every single one of these soldiers and send them home. That means they're not going to be executed, obviously, which can happen in treason in any country, and they're not going to do jail time. Now, that might be different for the officers, and especially generals and all that, but for the soldiers themselves. Here's what they had to do, though. They had to lay down their arms, lay down their weapons, put away their flags, and promise never again to fight against the United States of America. So that night, they're all camping, and the two armies are beginning to mingle at that point because they're not fighting anymore. So they're trading cigarettes for food and all this. It's just a moving, moving situation. And the next morning, the Union Army was arrayed in, in, uh, in their uniforms and standing along the side of the road while the Confederates passed. And they had, it was, it was like a, a very solemn parade where the Confederate army passed before them, marching with all the stuff they would march with, and they would stop. And then they would take off their rifles, and they would put them in a pile, and they would take all their ammunition, and they would set it in the mud, and they would fold up their flags and move on and receive their parole passes and be able to go home. And one of the men who told the story was uh, the man who, who uh, oversaw these proceedings. His name was General Joshua Chamberlain. He was a brigadier general from Maine and, and a, 
a lover of Jesus. And, and he, he has a moving account of this. And he talks about uh, a one man, I think he was a colonel, a Confederate colonel, who came, and after he uh, laid his stuff down, he was crying. This is an incredibly emotional thing. They've been fighting a war. It's over. What have I done? Or all, the, all of the mix of emotions. And he, he, he folds up the flag, and he puts it down, and he is crying. And he looks up at General Chamberlain, and he said, Sir, I promise I will fight for that flag, pointing at the American flag, as hard as I fought for this one. I was so moved by that account because that is a picture of repentance and that is a picture of what I think happens in salvation with us, which is a change of allegiance. We go from believing in one thing as the, 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 everything that's worth dying, everything that has authority, to coming into God's kingdom and seeing Jesus as king and acknowledging he has authority. In the Roman Empire, this was very, very apparent because that means, oh, well, Caesar isn't the king. He doesn't have all authority. Rome doesn't, it's not about Rome. Hey, it's not about Rome. It's about his kingdom. It's a lot harder for us because we have it a lot better than they did. We don't have a Caesar. But Jesus has to be more than our president. See? He's more. He's, he's king. He's emperor. And he invites us into this beautiful change of allegiance. We ha we're going to take communion this morning. Um, and uh, we haven't done this much lately because we've had the, the prepackaged ones and, and then the different things that, that are going on in the state. But we're, we're going to do it, I think, with, with the real little cups this morning. So we're going to start passing those out. So hold on to those because I want us to... Uh, um, talk about a few more things before we get there. You see, when Jesus saves us, he rescues us. But he doesn't, he doesn't just give us something for down there. If he's going to save us, he really has to pull us out of that thing that's killing us. Just think of the word rescue. It, you know, to, to, really, to take a really dumb example, I mean, if, if you're swimming in, in a pool and there's sharks everywhere and you want to be saved from the sharks, you, you don't just t take a, a flotation device and think I'm good. Like, you have to get out of the sharks. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we're going to be saved from the things that are killing us, we actually have to get out of that. And I want to suggest to you the number one thing that kills us is an allegiance to ourselves. It's an allegiance to think that we are little kings and queens, and in our hearts we have a little flag flying that is an allegiance to ourselves. That is the thing Jesus came to rescue us from. Allegiance to something or someone who is not the king. Maybe if you're Roman, that means Caesar first and foremost. But for us today in America, what that usually means is is. is taking away our allegiance to ourselves and to the kingdom of self. Because that's what we worship here, you know? That's, that's the water we swim in. That's the water we swim in. The, the greatest sin today, you guys, is, going, is not being true to yourself. That's considered a sin. 
And what Jesus invites us to is to see, hey, wait a minute, there's a, there's a better kingdom. And it's a beautiful thing because that is where salvation actually lies. That's where wholeness actually lies. That's where goodness lies. That's where we are saved, healed, and delivered. You see, guys, I think a lot of times in church today, people choose Jesus for therapeutic reasons. Like, he makes me feel good. Oh, does he make you feel Yes, he does. Okay, I'm going to choose him then. I like that. I like this. I like it. This is good. Yeah. But that's not the reason we are Christians. That's not the, the reason I am a Christian is because I think he's real, and I think he actually did what we're saying he did. You see, if Jesus Christ is just a myth, or if he's just like this nice ideal or, or whatever, that's, I'm sorry, that's not good enough for me. I worship because I think he actually was God, come down in human flesh, and that he actually did lead, this, lead a sinless life, and he actually was killed on a cross, and that he actually did come alive again, and that he actually is king. But if we're going to base it on the way that we feel, we're going to come up short. And I want to suggest to you, Jesus really is king. He really is Lord, and he really is Savior. And if he was that generous to lay down his life for us, then the only intelligent response is for us to say, you deserve me and everything I have. And I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of times when I've argued with him about stuff that I knew I wasn't giving him, you know? Like, I can't give you this part of my heart. I remember growing up when I was in, in high school that there was this part. I remember specifically saying to God, uh, uh, Lord, I, you have my life, but as far as my like, dating life is concerned, I can't give you that. And I remember actually saying that. It was an, an honest prayer. It was good that I was being honest, but it was not a good thing. Lord, you can have all this, but right now, I just, I can't give that to you. It's too important, too precious. Thank you. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Because I don't think Jesus ever gave me that option. If he really is king, then he's king of everything. And this is what I want to call us back to this morning, you guys. We cannot forget that he is our emperor. And there might be things that we see that we go, okay, I don't understand why he said this, so I'm just not going to do it. Well, there might be things I know that are difficult to understand. Lord, why did you call me to do that? Or why have you, Jesus, why did you say this? I mean, he has called us to a high standard, hasn't he? We're not allowed to hate people. I know it's a bummer. <laughs> but God, they're jerks. Yeah, you're a jerk sometimes too. But they're toxic. So are you. You know, all of us are toxic at sometimes. I want to let you know, if you're worried about the toxic people, sometimes you're probably the toxic one too. I know I am. Right? Like, Lord, but Lord, I hate their political beliefs, and, and I wonder if sometimes God hates mine. That's just, that's off the table. If you're, you know, I don't want to forgive them. Well, uh, Sorry. That's, that's, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you work through that process. I know you don't flip a switch for that. I know there's things that go into that. But you don't, you do not have the option to withhold forgiveness. You do not have the option to withhold love. Jesus talks to our, our sexual desires. And he goes, yeah, yeah, lust is actually off the table. But, but God, that's hard. Yeah, of course. 
But what if I've already, you know what, if you've blown it and you're, you're having trouble in there, here, come on a path. Let's get on a path toward healing. I am so proud of you guys that are involved in these groups that are working towards sexual healing. I am so proud of you guys. Because what you have said, what you have said is that I want a better way. I want to walk like Jesus walks, and that takes some new training. That is evidence of a heart that is allied with Jesus. So these things that we're still struggling with, he says, hey, there is grace. Walk toward me. Walk toward me. But what we don't have the option to is just to say, no, I don't like that part. Because he's king. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let me ask you, is there a place in your heart that you've, you've cornered out? You put tape around and said, this is mine. Jesus can have this. You can have the Sundays. This part is, is there something like that in your life? He's so gracious. I think he wants in. He's not only Savior, but he's King, so he wants to bring wholeness and healing and restoration to that place, too. That's how good he is. That's kind of intrusive, I know, but he's God, you know? <laughs> and he's really, really good. Here's the thing. The things we hold back from him are the things that we'd end up not getting healing in. That's the irony. The places we want to hold on to selfishness, those are the places that remain broken. And he says, my kingdom is better than that, and I'm better than that. Is there a place that you said, you're not allowed in here? I want to take a moment and just be silent before the Lord. Just ask him, Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts now. My mentors, Larry Allen, used to say this. You know, it never says anywhere in Scripture you can only get saved once. <laughs> I always like that line. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I've held on to that because there's sometimes I'm like, Lord, can I just start over again with you, you know? Can we just, can we just start over? Can I just say, Lord, I feel like I haven't given you everything and I need to and I want to. So, Lord... <laughs> You just become Lord of my life again. You're already Lord. I can't make you Lord. I, you already are Lord. <laughs> so can I just acknowledge that in my heart today and give it to you again? Lord, can, can you forgive me for the places that I've withheld obedience 
in allegiance to you? Can we just start over? Anybody want to start over this morning? Let's, let's all start over. Guys, I've got good news for you. Unto us a child is born. His name's Jesus. His name means God is salvation. He is Savior and He is King. And He laid down His life for us so that we could be forgiven and so that we could come into His kingdom to be made whole. That's what I call good tidings of great joy. How about we just give ourselves to him again? Can we do that? Let's take this bread. On the night Jesus was betrayed, it's the day before he went to the cross for us, he had a meal with his, his friends and he broke the bread and he said, this represents my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They didn't understand all that then, but we do today. His broken body for us so that we could be restored into his kingdom. Isn't that beautiful news? Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. Thank you for your sacrifice. I want to do this this morning to remember you and just say thank you. Let's take it together. so much better than the styrofoam. And he poured the wine. And he handed it to his, his friends and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is for our sins, you guys. This is for the place where we've held on to our selfishness and not given ourselves back to him. He's given us a way to come back. Lord, we thank you for your blood shed for us. And we do this now in remembrance of you. We say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to turn completely. Help us, Lord, to open up our clenched fists. Lord, there will be no places in our heart that we say, mine, because you, Jesus, are our Savior and our King. Let's take it together. I don't know about you guys, but it feels good to be in his kingdom. It feels good to know that I'm not in charge of anything, including my own life. I'm not, I'm not smart enough to be in charge of my life. He is. Let's stand together. If you guys need prayer for anything, I want to ask you to come forward. In fact, if maybe you've got something that he's stirring up, please don't try to work through that on your own. Please come forward. Let us, let us pray with you. Let us support you. Jesus, I pray for each one of us that we would listen to your call. Lord, I pray that we could be humble enough to open our hands. And I pray, Lord, that you would be gentle with us. We thank you that you're always gentle. We ask that that could continue, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We love you guys very, 
very much.